Thanks so much for being with us today. Coming up on the program, we are going to talk more about the rising number of COVID-19 cases in the Fraser Health Authority, uh, hearing from the Surrey Board of Trade, as well as the mayor of Surrey, and some tighter recommendations when it comes to, or stronger, I suppose you could say, when it comes to the wearing of masks. Also coming up on the program, we are going to check in with what's happening in the United States, getting very close to the election there. And a bit later on, a family devastated by fire in Vancouver is overwhelmed by the community coming forward to help them, but they still need a little bit more help. And we're going to check in with them just after the 2.30 news. First up, though, it would be difficult, I think, to say the name Carol James to anyone in this province and not get a response with some level of recognition. Carol James has a political career spanning decades from being a school trustee and chair in the Victoria School District starting in 1990. Fast forward to 2003, Carol James becoming the leader of the NDP at a time when the party was, uh, what you could say, in rebuild mode. Uh, Some bumps along that road, but when the BC NDP won a minority government in 2017, Carol James then took on two new roles, becoming a deputy premier and a finance minister. Well, on Saturday night, Carol James tweeted out her thanks to colleagues and friends and constituents. This was the first provincial election in a long time where she was a spectator, not running, tweeting out, filled with gratitude for the privilege of having served you. Earlier this year, Carol James announced that she would be retiring after a diagnosis with Parkinson's. And she joins me on the line now. Carol James, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jill. Great to be here. How does it feel now we've had the election, (laughs) the excitement of Saturday? How does it feel to be retired? Well, I, I haven't quite got there yet. Uh, still caretaker government until all the votes are counted and the official count comes in. Uh, so I joke that I have a terrible, I've done a terrible job of retirement because I've been in the office every day <laughs> since uh, since Saturday. Um, but it certainly was, there's no question, uh, it was a very odd experience to sit this one out after 30 years of being on the ballot in, in my own community and the community I grew up in. Um, so I think the transition will take some time. There's no question about that. When you look back at your career, and as I mentioned, a career that has spanned decades, many different roles in government, are you able to pick out one thing that stands out as your biggest achievement? Well, that's been one of the wonderful things, I have to say, uh, and emotional things over the last few days with all of the calls and the comments and the letters I've been receiving. has kind of been a, a trip down memory lane. It's been an opportunity to, to remember some of those experiences. And I guess I, I think back to my days on school board and the fight we had as a school board to be able to hang on to the music program and maintain the music program in the Victoria School District. And then 20 years later, going to my granddaughter's music concert at one of the schools that has continued on while she plays the viola and the clarinet. I mean, to be able to have taken part in in that kind of opportunity. Uh, And even in opposition, people say you can't make a difference in opposition, but even in opposition, you know, we were able to end the clawback of family maintenance money uh, for single parents who had it clawed back from their income assistance. We fought that hard, we organized that campaign, and we were able to get the government of the day to change their mind. 
And certainly over this time period of three and a half years of, of being finance minister, I, again, I kind of look at the pieces of my life that have, have matched up to be able to be there when the premier made the announcement about free tuition uh, for university and college for former children in care. And I was a foster parent for 20 years. Uh, I know the challenges that many young people have when they turn 19. None of us would say to our kids, you're on your own at 19 and expect them to not have the supports in place. And we were able to make that change because of the kind of leadership that the Premier showed and because of the hard work we did. So that certainly for me will stand out as one of those very important uh, tasks that that we took on uh, and achievements in government. And you mentioned being a foster parent. Did you find looking at your life or drawing from your life experiences was key in many of the decisions or, or the things that you were passionate about? Well, I certainly think so, and I think it's why it's so important to have a a diverse group of people elected to the legislature, um, because I think it is important that we reflect the public, that we reflect the people in our communities, um, that we have a range of experiences around that table to come in. I, I never planned for any of the life experiences I've had. I'm not one of those people who ever put together a a life plan of here's where I want to be in five years or 10 years. I've had the incredible good fortune of of being able to take on positions that I never could have pictured myself in, I'll be honest, uh, and never would have have imagined in my life I would have had these experiences. So when I say privilege, I really do mean that it's been extraordinary privilege to be able to to do these jobs, to be able to, to work with the kind of people who are so passionate about what they believe in um, when they want to come and and work with you to make things happen for people in this province. What a gift that's been. Uh, Is there a file or any area where you leave wishing more had been done? Hmm. Well, certainly I think there's always more to do. Um, And I think that's part of the bittersweet movement away from politics is, uh, you know, from my perspective, certainly when it comes to mental health and addictions, it's an area where there's so much work to do. There couldn't have been accomplished in three and a half years, all of the work that had to be done. Housing, of course, that that links with that piece as well. Um, And then more work around supports for families. Um, I think those are pieces from from my perspective that I think all of us uh, see as more work needing to be done uh, ahead of time. And extraordinary groups in our community who do that work every single day that I know um, will be looking for that partnership and looking for that work to be done in the next term of government. Uh, Like most, if not all politicians, you also faced your critics over the years. Your leadership was questioned, the resignation in 2010. There was much talk of infighting, of bullying. What advice do you give today then to politicians or people who are considering running for office about the the being on the receiving end of attacks and, and to deal with that kind of thing? Well, I think one of the things that it certainly did for me uh, is that it really um, cemented why I ran and what I really wanted to accomplish uh, and to remember the passion that, that got you involved in politics in the first place. Because when you go through those kinds of experiences, you know, I've seen lots of bitter politicians who remember those experiences and don't remember why they ran and why they got involved in the work. So, as I said, the day I resigned, I didn't run to be leader. I ran to make a difference, and the leader position was the way to do it. Um, but I could make a difference as an MLA, uh, as a community member. So I think remembering why you ran, remembering the people you're there to serve, um, remembering the passion that you had when you first ran uh, and first got involved are so critical. And, and I'm a big believer in, in trusting your gut, listening to all the advice, 
taking in all the information you can, but in the end, remembering that you're accountable yourself and you need to close your office door and you need to take some time and trust your gut and trust your heart. And, and I think you'll, you'll know what the right thing is to do if you stay true to your own values and stay true to your own integrity. Uh, That might be the answer to my next question. I wanted to ask you what advice you would have then for the next finance minister. Oh, it's going to be a huge job. <laughs> There's no question. It's a it's a big job anytime, but of course a big job coming out of the pandemic and the challenges that are still ahead of us, the economic recovery. Uh, I think again, the critical pieces that are important for finance ministers are are fairness. You have to be able to work with all your colleagues. Uh, you have to be able to to listen to to presentations that come forward. You can't do everything. So be clear as a government, and this is certainly advice I give to everyone, be clear as a government about the areas that are priorities because you will be uh, plummeted from all sides with uh, with advice and with ideas and with people wanting things done. Uh, and if you come together as a group, and if you and I really believe that's what was one of our strengths over the last three and a half years, is the premier set very clear goals around affordability, around building a sustainable economy, around improving services, and we stuck to that um, despite all the challenges. Um, and again, be true to yourself because the, the finance job you have a lot of people who aren't necessarily happy that you've said no a lot of the time uh, and so you have to be prepared for that and you have to be clear about why you're saying yes to some decisions and why you're saying no to others uh, and again having those values and going back to your values as a government are going to be critical. Uh, you publicly shared your diagnosis of Parkinson's a few months ago at the time when you told people you wouldn't be seeking re-election. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, thank you for asking. I'm doing well. As you may know, Parkinson's is a progressive disease that continues on, but uh, there are some of my symptoms. My tremors certainly can get worse uh, during the day, and I know I have to take some time and focus on on exercising, on focus on keeping up with my daily walks, uh, and, and focus on being active. It really is one of the, the big pieces that will help. Again, people were extraordinary after I, I announced my diagnosis. I've had lots of great advice and lots of great support from individuals who live with Parkinson's each day to, to talk about the importance of enjoying each day, not sitting around and waiting for the symptoms to get worse or waiting for the, the progression of the disease to occur, but in fact, living each and every day and remembering the important things in life and I think it, it really does. I went through a cancer diagnosis uh, while I was leader as well and I think it really uh, reminds you about what's important and what isn't important and uh, and making sure your focus is on the right things. And uh, you're about to have a lot more free time. Uh, you mentioned uh, the exercise, the walking and such. What else is next for you? Well, I'll continue to be active. I think uh, retirement is different than it was perhaps 50 years ago where people retired and didn't do work or didn't do anything. I certainly feel like I have expertise that I want to share um, and, and advice and, and things that I've learned in the job that I, I want to contribute uh, to continuing to make a difference in a different kind of way. Um, and I think it is time for the, the next generation to step up. I, I feel so fortunate that in our community we, we elected Grace Lohr, who is a, a new young candidate who I think will bring uh, great energy and, and great passion to the role. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing other things. I don't have anything planned at this point, um, but I'm hoping there'll be some uh, some interesting problems to solve in my future because that's really one of the things I love about this job is that you have uh, no end of problems um, but lots of opportunities to be able to solve them and I think I can, can contribute in some way to some of that. 
All right. We'll leave it there. Carol James, thank you so much for everything and for being on the show today. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's great to be here. And thanks to all your listeners and others who who sent messages. It really does mean so much. Thank you. Well, as you know, our top doctor in BC, Dr. Bonnie Henry, talked about wearing masks yesterday during the briefing that was held. She also issued a public health order, which she doesn't do all that often. But this order restricts household gatherings to immediate family, plus your safe six other people. Today, I am putting in a new provincial health officer order. This order limits gatherings in private homes to no more than your immediate household, plus your safe six. She was asked about enforcement and reiterated that it is bylaw officers, uh, health officers and police who can enforce these new rules. But what will that actually look like? Well, joining me on the line is Sarah Lehman, founder and lawyer with Sarah Lehman Law Group. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I think there is a lot of, well, some confusion and a lot of questions about the enforcement. How do you see this playing out? Well, I think that like the other regulations that have been passed during this pandemic, this will largely be a complaint-driven process. I don't think that we're going to be seeing police officers and bylaw officers out there, you know, actively patrolling or peeping into people's private residences to see if people are um, uh, having too many individuals in their households. Uh, But what I do think will happen is that these issues will be reported to police or to bylaw authorities and that then the relevant authorities will follow up on it. Uh, So it would be if somebody, I guess, notices that there are people coming and going from a house or there are 20 cars parked out front and it appears to be a large gathering, they would call police or call bylaws? Sure. I mean, those are some examples. Or if there's noise, a noisy party, things like that. I mean, it's definitely not unusual for police officers to be getting noise complaints about parties and things like that. Um, And so now I think that this is uh, just another layer that's been added in terms of making sure that people aren't gathering and that they are social distancing appropriately. And we've talked about this before when the first order came in about having parties, having in excess of the numbers allowed, that there would be fines or could be fines uh, given to the homeowner and to those at the party as well. Is that what you would anticipate seeing here as well? I would. We do have the BC uh, Public Health Act that does contemplate monetary fines and in extreme cases, jail time. Um, I expect that the relevant authorities, again, won't be out there patrolling or actively looking for violations of this new mandate. Uh, But I do think if it's brought to their attention and people are non-compliant and are displaying a disdain for uh, these new regulations, that enforcement action will have to be taken. And do you think the enforcement action, would it focus more on the host of a party or the homeowner rather than the recipients or everybody's equally to blame? Well, I think that remains to be seen. There's so much speculation about, you know, how can this be enforced, particularly in people's private homes. I think it will be left up to uh, the discretion of the authorities who would arrive on scene as to whether to issue tickets to, say, a homeowner or the guests of a gathering uh, and to figure out, you know, what's most appropriate given those circumstances. Uh, Because with making the order then with your immediate family plus six, I mean, unless you had a very 
huge immediate family plus six people, you would think it would be pretty easy if law enforcement or a bylaw officer happens upon one of these parties to sum it up quite quickly on whether or not it is breaking the rules. Certainly. I mean, I don't think that it'll be too difficult to determine if somebody is breaking the rules. Um, as it was pointed out uh, by a number of different people as well, you know, even six people plus an immediate family, depending on the size of your home, might not be safe. Um, there may not be enough space to socially distance, even with those numbers. And so I think it's important for people to really um, think proactively about this uh, and to make sure that they are taking into account um, the reason why these different health orders are being passed and being recommended at this stage and making sure that they're abiding by them and staying safe. Is it different when we're talking about a space? It was one thing when banquet halls were shut down and the health officer said, look, we're, we're, there's too many numbers here. It's, it's overwhelming for contact tracers. We can't do this anymore. My guess is there's going to be a bit of pushback from people when even if you agree with it and you understand it, do you think there is going to be pushback when we're talking about enforcing rules in people's private homes? Well, I think there's always pushback anytime we talk about any type of rules, whether they're new or not. Um, we're unfortunately always going to have people who um, decide not to comply. But I think that those people would be the exception to the rule. Um, and again, uh, if that is the case, then they will be dealt with by authorities uh, using the tools that they have available in order to bring them into compliance um, or compel them to um, use appropriate discretion again in the future. Uh, Do you think uh, this is going to be a case then of people will get, uh, my guess is that they're going to go with warnings and unless it's a repeat offender, things probably won't get all that serious. But do you think we could be going down the road of some legal battles if people want to fight if they are given tickets? Well, I mean, there's always room for legal battles anytime that we have somebody being issued um, with any type of penalty. Anytime we have new legislation being passed, there's room for challenges, of course. But do we want to see it go that far? I don't think so. I don't think it's in anybody's best interest, particularly given the reason why these laws are being passed. We have to weigh uh, the public interest here um, quite greatly. Uh, and I think that uh, it weighs more significantly than it would in, uh, quote unquote, normal circumstances. And so, again, I think it's important for people to be diligent, to listen to the orders that are being made, uh, and to make sure that they're complying with them if they want to avoid repercussion. And do you anticipate the enforcement is going to focus in the Fraser Health Authority? Because there are there are people coming out saying, wait a minute, why is this a blanket rule for all of BC? Why isn't this a regional rule when we're talking about 80% of the cases being in this one particular health region? Why should somebody in Prince George or Victoria have to to be fearful that someone's going to come knocking on their door and counting how many people are in their house. I mean, that makes uh, one point, but I guess the other point is that in the incident with some of our health authorities, we want to make sure that uh, further outbreaks are prevented. Um, We want to make sure that we're not seeing the numbers that we're seeing here um, in the Fraser Health region uh, and other places in BC. So in order to do that, it is recommended, again, for people to uh, put appropriate social distancing measures in place and to avoid these gatherings in private homes. It's going to be difficult as we're coming into winter and now there's not the same kind of ability to gather outdoors, but it's something that I think has to happen in order for the public interest to be properly served. Um, Because as a lawyer, you're used to fighting things and taking on clients who are disputing things. Do you think, though, this is a solid order? 
Well, it is at this point, my understanding, a recommendation. It's an order. Uh, we're asking for voluntary compliance uh, rather than, you know, passing, say, a very restrictive or punitive law. Um, so there's a little bit of a difference there. But I think it's important for people to take it seriously and to abide by it in order to make sure that stricter, uh, more enforceable measures are not then put into place later on. Right, because that was somebody asked me yesterday, too, saying, well, if they want to get serious, why not just say first offense, it's a $20,000 fine and you you should have known better. Uh, But do, do things like that work? Well, research shows that education works better than enforcement. And that's the approach that we've been using here in BC since the beginning of the pandemic and when the state of emergency was called. We have had some be critical of that approach. um, And I think that there will be mounting criticism uh, in the following weeks and months, uh, depending on how things go here. But certainly it is within the orbit of our government and our authorities to pass those types of laws, whether they be challenged or not. And it would be best if we could avoid that. So I think that it's important for people to, again, take these orders really seriously and to treat them as though they are law. And just to to recap on, on something you said, because I, I'm getting people asking me too, does this mean bylaw officers are going to be searching through my garbage to see if there are remnants of a party and people scouring the alleys? And like you said, from your understanding of this, it's more complaint driven. It's not officers that are going to be surveilling homes or doing that kind of thing. Oh, I definitely don't think anyone has to worry about bylaw officers or police scouring garbage or doing proactive surveillance. I do think that this will be a complaint-driven process. Um, That has been the approach of our law authorities since the beginning of this pandemic um, when it comes to enforcing social distancing measures, and I don't see any reason why they would depart from that now. All right, Sarah Lehman, always good to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks again for having me. Well, the Surrey Board of Trade is launching a social media campaign. It is encouraging businesses to make sure they are following health and safety protocols when it comes to COVID-19. And joining me to talk more about that is CEO Anita Huberman. Thank you so much for being with us. Good afternoon. Uh, What is different then or what is being launched as part of this campaign? Well, it's called the Get Serious Campaign, and it's launched in partnership with the South Asian Business Association to ensure that workers, businesses, and residents are adhering to health and safety protocols with really more serious messaging uh, in terms of, do you want another economic shutdown? Adhere to health and safety protocols. Listen to the guidelines of the provincial health officer. Uh, We think it's going to make a difference. Uh, We've seen uh, a rise in cases in the Fraser Health region, and uh, we just are doing our part to ensure that there's communication consistently around getting serious so we can get through this pandemic. Uh, When we hear that the bulk of the new cases of the virus, 80%, are in the Fraser Health region, how concerning is that to businesses? It's very concerning. We know that Surrey is going to be the largest city in British Columbia very soon. We're growing by 1,400 people a month, but our per capita COVID-19 cases still is higher uh, than Vancouver. That is so concerning, uh, not only um, from the perspective of uh, being a potential drain on our healthcare system, but from the potential of possibly shutting down our economy. We're a small and medium-sized business community. We can't have our restaurants uh, shut down again. Our small businesses are hanging by a thread. 
uh, with the support of federal government programs, which thankfully are in place, extended till the summer of next year. Uh, if we have another economic shutdown, uh, with the increase in virus cases in the Fraser Health region, that thread is going to be broken for many businesses. Do you think a campaign like this will get the message out or will get to the people that need to hear this message? I believe it will. I mean, we are doing our part at the South Asian Business Association. They're doing their part. Uh, and I know the city of Surrey is also doing their part in messaging out uh, the seriousness of uh, we are in the second wave. We have to adhere to health and safety protocols, but we all have to collaborate and work together to ensure that messaging through our own networks in different languages, because we speak 104 different languages here in Surrey, um, making sure that uh, that is out there and, uh, and that people are paying attention. That consistency in messaging, I believe, is going to help. Uh, We've been talking a bit about with the number of cases in Fraser Health and this new rule about family gatherings that was announced yesterday. The public health order that Dr. Bonnie Henry uh, announced yesterday is province-wide, saying that some of the feedback from other places is they feel kind of uh, lumped in with they might be doing things, everything right, and now face these stricter rules because of what's happening in Fraser Health. Is there that feeling too, you think, also in businesses that are following the rules? rules in Fraser Health being lumped in with those that aren't? Well, certainly I would say that most businesses are doing their part, uh, communicating to their workforce, uh, not only at work, but ensuring that health and safety protocols are followed uh, beyond work. Uh, You know, they're doing it. They're doing what they need to do. Uh, But I think eventually the provincial health officer is going to have to take a regional approach to this. And uh, there are some hot spots within our province and uh, different mechanisms are going to need to be at play uh, instead of a a province-wide approach. But certainly the pulse uh, for the provincial health officer has to be day-to-day. And uh, But but, but I think eventually there has to be a regional approach. Hmm. And regional being target the areas that have the spikes in cases or that are seeing these increases? Yes, absolutely. That's what I mean. Uh, the the health officer, or Dr. Henry, said yesterday, too, that she's not considering shutting down restaurants and shutting down, putting a lockdown in for those businesses because uh, I think because through contact tracing and through through doing that, they're able to see that's not the cause of these increased numbers when it comes to cases. Uh, is that at least reassuring for those businesses? That's very reassuring. And uh, again, I mentioned that those types of businesses, those restaurants, they can't afford another economic shutdown. And um, most of them are are doing what they need to do. It it really is the focus on uh, private family gatherings, you know, staying to your safe six. And I know that the provincial health officer indicated you can expand upon that to another six. But I would say for now, we're in the second wave, you know, just stick to your safe six bubble because uh, we need to get through this pandemic until a vaccine is uh, available and and widely uh, available and safe to take. Uh, And that's not going to be for some time. But I think in the short term, we just need to stay in our safe six, wear a mask, adhere to health and safety protocols as they're issued by our provincial health officer. And um, we just all need to do our part uh, for each other.
And when you say the safe six, and Dr. Henry addressed this yesterday as well, saying, but if you live in a a scenario where your immediate family is quite large and you're perhaps all living under the same roof, six might be too many. Is is that a difficult rule to kind of put out there and to make sure people are following? It's a challenging situation because, um, for example, in Surrey, you have multi-generational families living under one roof. And um, and that's the way you know that uh, that you know some families live together. Which uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just you know how do you make sure that everyone is safe, especially those that are elderly, uh, those that have uh, pre-existing conditions. It's a very complicated situation from family to family, and she's setting uh, some parameters. But there's a lot of common sense here too. Uh, we've seen some virus uh, cases as well within our workplaces, our manufacturing sector, and uh, there needs to be some improvement there as well. Earlier today, the Prime Minister was asked about the messaging that's coming out, even on a national level, saying that it was a few weeks ago he was telling people, if we are safe for Thanksgiving, if we have very small gatherings, we just might save Christmas. Today, he said, if things don't change, it's going to be similar rules for Christmas as far as very small gatherings, if any gatherings at all. Do you think a message like that is enough to get through to people who are continuing to have these bigger gatherings and are putting that curve up? I think the messaging needs to be stronger, which is one of the purposes of our Get Serious campaign, is to have that forceful messaging. Uh, People need to understand the reality. Uh, Do you want another economic shutdown? You know, are you going to lose your job if people don't adhere to health and safety protocols? Uh, you know, the, we have to get serious about this. And I know that some don't like wearing a mask, but I, I think we need to wear a mask uh, to help each other. Uh, we really need to ensure that, um, like the Prime Minister said, we need to um, really ensure that we understand the consequences of our actions through forceful messaging. Uh, The mayor of Surrey earlier today uh, said that he has put out some videos to encourage people uh, to do this, the similar type, the similar type of get serious. Uh, He's not in favor of bringing in a mask rule, something maybe similar to what Richmond has done. Do you think more action needs to be taken on that? I think eventually the city of Surrey is going to have to consider this at the council level. Uh, if uh, cases don't uh, go in the right direction. Uh, We really need to be a leader uh, in the province. Surrey is going to be the largest city in British Columbia, as I mentioned. And uh, we all need to do our part and put in those mechanisms to reduce those virus cases. It's not enough just to say, go outside and enjoy the parks. Uh, We we really need to ensure we get that messaging out there uh, that uh, all council members are speaking to their uh, their networks and ensuring that the message, a serious message is out there around the consequences of people's actions. Anita Hubberman, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, this isn't something you see every day on social media, an offer of cash to anybody who helps rid the city. And in this particular case, we're talking about the Surrey city, the city of Surrey helps rid the city of white supremacy and white supremacist flyers that have been popping up in that city. Well, Raniel Prasad has been doing just that and joins me on the line now to talk about how this all started. Thanks so much for being with us. 
no problem. Thanks for having me. Well, how did this start? Did you first see one of these posters or how did that happen? Yeah, um, I saw this at Surrey Central Station. I was just getting off the bus and was about to uh, walk to the SkyTrain. Um, and I saw that this guy was putting up a sign on a porta potty. Um, thought, thought it was kind of weird, a weird pleasant for a sign, obviously. And uh, I've noticed in the past, um, the people kind of use the, uh, there's a lot of interesting posters, I would say, around the Surrey Central area. Sometimes it's uh, community events, but most of the time it's kind of a, a discussion board for, for uh, bozos, I guess. Um, so I saw him put up the sign. Um, I took a photo of it and um, he saw me. Uh, I ripped it down and uh, he decided to uh, call me anti-white. He said I was hateful. Uh, he followed me across the street. Um, I didn't really want a big confrontation out of it. So I uh, crossed the street and uh, walked away. And and then what happened? I would imagine that would have been a bit frightening in itself in that if somebody's going to put up uh, this hateful sign, who knows what else they're capable of? Yeah, and uh, for me, the brazenness was a really, um, really strange part for me. Um, he wasn't wearing a mask. He wasn't trying to cover his identity in any way. He wasn't, you know, putting up the, the poster and then running away. Um, he was just putting up in, in putting up uh, white supremacist posters in broad daylight. And I thought, you know, this is uh, not something I want to see in my city. I take ownership and pride over the city's area. It's where I went to high school and where uh, where I, I grew up. So um, it's not something I wanted to see. So I decided, you know, what can I do to make sure this message doesn't, doesn't get seen? And I thought, you know, um, you know, just because just I, I disagree with something doesn't mean I take it down. But this is definitely, and the police agree, this definitely fits the uh, description of hate, of hate speech. Yeah, and not to, to give him the platform that we uh, repeat the whole poster or anything like that, but uh, things on it. I mean, it was pretty lengthy. The, the message that he, this person had written uh, talks a lot about white erase, whites being erased and uh, white erasure. So you, you took this one down, but then you decided to share it and, and kind of put a different message out there. What did you do next? Yeah, honestly, I didn't expect people to look at my Twitter feed. It's not a lot to look at, if I'm being honest. Um, but I took a photo of it, um, explained what happened, and uh, I thought, you know, um, there's probably more posters uh, up at Story Central somewhere. Um, I noticed that this guy was holding a bunch of other posters. And, you know, I wasn't going to go, go back and get uh, confronted by this guy, but I thought, you know, maybe if people want to take the posters down, I'll give them an incentive to do so. Um, so I decided that uh, I would put a bounty on the heads of these posters um, and for each one that got taken down I, uh, and I was sent a photo of, um, I would give the person $5 for each poster they, they, that uh, got taken down. Um, I've, I've gotten messages of, uh, for, from people who've seen these posters around who ripped them down. Um, and uh, I, I guess it, it's working. Um, they didn't ask for money. Um, I would have given it to them regardless. But um, it, it's nice to see that people are, are uh are taking this seriously. So no one's actually come back at you and said, okay, here's the poster I took down. Where's my $5? Yeah, I mean, I'm totally willing to give it to them if they want it, although they were nice enough to say, you know, keep your money. Um, I did this because it's the right thing. Uh, Were you concerned at all about kind of the reaction that you had and that you said you didn't want to go back and have a confrontation or or get into any kind of fight in that sense? Are you concerned at all about putting people in a scenario if someone's taking down one of these posters that they might get in a confrontation? Uh, there's some level of concern, obviously, but people said that, uh, I, I got met, this started because I got messages from people, um, who said, where are the posters? I want to take them all down. So clearly people were willing to take the risk and I was willing to take the risk as well when I took the poster down. Um, so obviously I don't want people, I do not, do not, do not, I want to emphasize this. If you don't feel comfortable with it, don't confront white supremacists. That is a recipe for a bad day. Um, 
And, uh, you know, confronting hatred is uh, often a dangerous thing. You saw what happened um, in the West End with uh, Justin Morissette getting his uh, legs smashed into pieces by um, by a, 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 I don't know what to call him, a street well, preacher, I guess. Call him somebody who was spewing hate. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if people are comfortable taking the risk, I'm willing to reward them for the risk they're taking. Uh, what did transit police say? I know that you called them. Uh, they looked into this. Did they have any advice or any reaction to what you were doing? Yeah, Um so this is a good PSA for people. The transit police actually has a text line if you don't want to make a phone call or if you want to send them um, pictures of things and whatnot. Um, so I sent them a picture of what happened uh, of the poster. Um, so I sent them the picture. They asked me for a description of the guy. I gave them a description. Um, they said they would try to try to find him and uh, they'll try to take down the posters if they saw them. Uh, they never found him. So uh, things are still up in the air, I guess. Uh, you mentioned, too, you've been getting a lot of support from people and people have seen these posters and uh, have also been taking them down. Uh, unfortunately, the, these types of actions tend to sometimes also uh, ignite people and bring out the worst in, in others. Have you had any negative reaction or anything uh, that's been a bit unsettling for you? Oh, yeah. Have I gotten negative reaction? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I've been called every racial slur under the sun. I've been called a Hindu caste-based slur, which is, uh, I guess, bonus points for creativity, I guess. Um, I got told by people that I was faking it. Um, I have evidence from eight other people who, who uh, saw this guy. Um, apparently, he has a habit of getting onto buses and yelling white nationalist slurs as well. Um, people told me that I was faking it, that I'm only here for the notoriety, as if I want the notoriety from white supremacists. And someone called me a child molester, which, uh, you know, that's a, quite a leap, I guess. Hmm. Uh, but still, do you, do you stand by? Are you, are you glad that when you saw this, uh, you, you took that action? Yeah, um, I'm glad I took the action. I don't know if I would have uh, tweeted it again, the, you know, the white nationalists uh, uh, coming after me isn't the greatest thing in the world. But, um, you know, that's the price you have to pay to take an action. So I'm willing to put my body on the line, I guess. Uh, you mentioned this is ha- this happened at the Surrey Central Station, and and I think you said you're a resident of Surrey. Are you? Yeah, yes, I am. And how long have you lived there? Uh, I've lived there since. Ooh, putting on the spot here, I do some <laughs> math here. Um, I've lived there since I was in grade six, and I'm in my fourth year of university now. So uh, I think the viewers at home put that ten years now. I don't uh- know. Okay, and, and sorry, that might have seemed like, why on earth is she asking this? I was only asking because I, I wonder if you've seen a change, and this is something that happened now. Would, would you ever have expected to see something like this, say, five years ago? I just wanted to make sure you were living in the Surrey. Have, have things changed, or have you noticed a change in, in what's acceptable or what people think they can get away with? Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean anything by that. But, <laughs> no, um, I didn't want uh, to put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think this would have happened, um, you know, five, six years ago, um, the fact that this guy was putting up a white nationalist poster in public uh, without um, any shame, I found was just absolutely ridiculous. You know, the poster is uh, is objectionable, but I find his brazenness even more objectionable. You know, it's not like he was in some, you know, all-white town. He was in Surrey, B.C. It's a diverse uh, community, and it's better for the diversity. Hmm. And so, like you said, if you were to do this again, maybe not put it out there on social media because of, I mean, you have to worry about, about safety too, and you don't know what somebody's going to do, but, but this, do you would do the same thing then as far as taking it down and, and maybe raising some awareness about this. Yeah. Um, obviously there's things I, I would change what happened. I would have taken a photo for the guy for one that would have helped uh, my situation a lot. Um, it would have helped uh, bring some justice to the situation, but yeah, I don't, I don't have many regrets about this.
All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us to talk more about this. And great to see not so much the negative reaction, but great to see people stepping up, seeing your post and supporting and doing uh, doing the right thing here. No problem. Love the show. And uh, thanks for having me 